welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode nine, The Color of Money from 1986. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, a very special guest. I was trying to think, have you only done one podcast with us or have you been on more than one episode? Uh, I'm not positive anymore. I think it's just mom and dad. You're on our mom and dad episode, which sort of, sort of became a, a conversation about all of Nicolas Cage's career. Yeah, sorry. No, it was great. We also talked about a project that you could not really talk about then, but has since sort of been officially announced in Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is very exciting. We have with us today, Mr. Greg McLennan. Hello, Greg. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on again. Very well. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to talk about this movie that I had never seen before. I had a lot of questions for you guys, but I was like, maybe I can ask them on the podcast. I don't know how this is going to go, but we'll see. I love this movie. Nice. Relief. I messaged Mike 10 minutes in, and I was just like, I'm only 10 minutes in, so this is a disclaimer, but I fucking love this movie. Like, (laughs) it makes Pool... I mean, Pool's already pretty cool, I guess, but, like, it makes Pool cool in a way that, like, I didn't think was possible. It's like watching Pool if you were on cocaine and Martin Scorsese was shooting it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it has that adrenaline behind it, I think, more so than playing actual Pool sometimes. But, I mean, I was afraid it wasn't going to hold up. I hadn't seen it in a while, but no. Like, it's as good as ever, I thought. So my real secret shame is that I have not seen The Hustler. Um, so I don't know the basically the prequel to this, but I guess this this movie doesn't seem to spoil anything other than, I guess, Paul Newman's character doesn't die, which I didn't think that would mm. be, you know, but like, yeah. you know, I don't know what it's, I don't know what it's about. There's, I mean, I don't yeah. know a movie that's 25 years removed, but we are talking about The Color of Money, and I do feel like it kind of spoils because all Paul Newman does is talk about how he got completely taken and he was down on his dumps and he got, like, force retired. So you okay. How the hustler ends. Yeah, he got the screws put to him, but it's interesting to watch this in this day and age when you see people reviving franchises 25 years later and people going why what the hell but like this was done then I that totally slipped my mind like I knew it was a sequel to the hustler but I wasn't sure how much time had passed how many how often this had been done you know how it was received if people were aware of that and I think there's only like a few moments where it really matters there's one pivotal moment I think that if you've seen the hustler you're like oh shit like it there's a lot more weight to this particular scene but otherwise like oh, okay it really kind of works really well on its own oh for sure yeah I mean like that was the natural concept because there was a sequel to the book uh, for the hustler which was called the color of money and the guy who wrote the book actually wrote a screenplay for Martin Scorsese. And then whenever they were like putting the movie together, they were like, you know what? Uh, this doesn't work. We're going to make a movie that stands on its own, but is like a legacy. And like it was Paul Newman who was pushing on Martin Scorsese. And Martin Scorsese didn't have any passion for making this movie. But Paul Newman was pushing him. Uh, and then ultimately they did, but they took the script that they had gotten based on the book and then they threw that out and then they wrote an entirely new script. And the weird thing, I was I was reading all that, and the weird thing about the books, though, Mike, I don't know if you looked into this, but, like, the books were written 25 or something years apart, too. Oh, like, they yeah. were both written, like, two years before the movie came out. So, like, there was this wide gap in the novels. There's also this wide gap in the, in the films. And what I thought was kind of cute, I guess is the word, is that a couple times in this movie, Paul Newman's like, I was playing pool before you were born, which is true that The Hustler came out before Tom Cruise was born. Like, all this stuff, like, there has been a long time since the first movie that I, 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 I still want to, I'm, I'll see The Hustler this year. Wait, question for you, is The Hustler as good as this movie, or no? I would argue, and this is coming from a person that super duper loves The Color of Money, I think The Hustler is one of the finest films ever made. But wow, it's okay. A different kind of vibe, I guess, because yeah. I mean, this one is dark and depressing, but it's also exciting and cool. And I feel like the hustler is if the character of Paul Newman wasn't in The Color of Money and you just got to see the like brash bravado of Tom Cruise and how kind of that toxic masculinity just starts to like eat him whole. Yeah, right. He kind of is the Vince character to a degree in that movie and 25 years earlier. So he seems even more sort of uh, out of control and stuff. But yeah, that movie was sort of that's as far as I've been alive, that was always considered a classic. I've only seen it once in its entirety. It's got a very different pace, but still good nonetheless. Absolutely. I mean, you put Paul Newman in a movie, it's going to be pretty electric. Yeah, but it, it covers all the this is its drama. It's got a, an excessive amount of bourbon and pool playing. I mean, what's not to love about that? Before we get too much further into this movie, I want to take a quick pause. As someone, not myself, you, Greg, as someone who has programmed 
film marathons at the Alamo Draft House. Right. I think the answer is yes. Have you done a Tom Cruise marathon? Yeah, we did uh, two cruise controls. Was this movie? So I guess two questions. Was this movie included, and what were the movies that you did? Because knowing what I've learned here, because we're doing, as I think you know, because I think you signed up for the other, some of the other ones too. We're doing the Tom Tom Club, so we're alternating Cruise and Hanks. And what I've learned is that the Hanks that are coming up in the next like four or five episodes are some of the really really good stuff. But through eight episodes, rough waters early in Tom Hanks's career. <laughs> but Tom Cruise in his first nine movies here has The Color of Money, which is awesome, Risky Business, which is awesome, and Top Gun, which is awesome, among right. other movies that are, like, good, even if he's not in them. So, like, it's been a real treat to do these. He made Legend just before yeah. he made Color of Money and Top Gun in the same year. You know, obviously, people have their... They either love Legend or they think Legend is just an exercise in, like, beautiful filmmaking, but not necessarily, like, a good movie. Yep, I fall into that latter camp. <laughs> it's just crazy to think that you watch... Tom Cruise and Top Gun, and then six months later, you're watching Tom Cruise and Color of Money, and I don't know if the world at the time was just like, this guy is going to be the biggest star that the world has ever seen. Obviously, yes, because Top Gun had like blown the lid off of it. He's always been uh, very versatile, I think we've seen, and even in movies where he wasn't a star, you know, stuff like Taps and Outsiders, which The Hustler has a small cameo in, in the opening mm-hmm. shots, I think. It's true. But, uh, like, he has always been, like, electric and stuff, you know, Joey? Like, every, we even talk about those first 46 minutes, uh, 46 seconds uh, that he had on screen and stuff. In Endless saw. Love, yeah, where he runs on screen as Billy the Arsonist. It's fantastic yeah. and here he's holding his own with paul newman it's great yeah. funny is the whole like end of the color of money paul newman's like let's not go to the bahamas just yet and then it's like at the end it's like oh the bahamas are looking pretty good and the next movie that tom cruise makes if he goes that uh, makes cocktail <laughs> another movie that i have not seen that i'm excited for even though i've heard it's one of the worst tom cruise movies but well. i am being optimistic <laughs> about that so, so we will find out Justin, the first cruise control I opened with The Color of Money, knowing awesome. well that everybody was expecting all of these iconic Tom Cruise movies, and I really wanted yeah. to set the tone going, hey guys, we could be watching fucking anything today. Mm-hmm. And then I followed that up with Cocktail, uh, because I thought the performance of Vince in this movie, like this like cocky fucking idiot, segues really nicely into Cocktail. I'm trying to think what I did after that. I uh, invited Tim League, the owner of the Alamo Draft House, up on the stage, and I said, hey Tim, I used my company card to buy a 35-millimeter print of this next movie, but I wanted you to have a shot of whiskey whiskey with me up on stage so you didn't get mad. (laughs) And then I played Far and Away. Okay. That's that's the first Nicole Kidman one, right? Mm. Well, they were in Days of Thunder first. Oh, okay. How many reels is uh, Far and Away? That's a long one, right? Uh, I think it was like a six reel. I mean, it's not that long. Oh, I always thought it was like three hours. It's the Irish immigrant Titanic. Uh, But then I followed it up with Collateral. And I uh, yes. I managed to track down a 70 millimeter print of Days of Thunder, and I have a huge spot for Days of Thunder. So uh, I cranked the volume all the way up and just like ripped everybody's faces off by finishing with Days of Thunder in 70 millimeter. I've only seen one of those five. I mean, before today, I'd only seen one of those five in Collateral. So I'm very excited. I mean, I was looking forward to all of them anyway. Mm. But if that's you know if that's where we're winding up, like that's exciting. And then you said you did a second one. What was on the second one? Because that that I mean that seems like a good lineup, but that's not at all like you were saying what people would be expecting when they go see five mystery Tom Cruise movies. The surprise of the second one it was Mission Impossible one through four, and then we showed five early. Oh, that's uh-huh. very cool. And I gave everybody like a uh, countdown bomb watch that said cruise control on it. I saw Rogue Nation at I think the Slaughter Lane Draft House, and I got like a T-shirt. Do you know those T-shirts with like the 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 storyboard panel on it? Do you remember those? That that guy uh, Mark. Gosh, I can't remember his last name, but the storyboard artist that works with Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah. Uh, stuff he lives here in austin and uh he'd done a bunch of stuff with us for like birth movies death and we like we had like a big mural of that airplane that was at the slaughter lane location i think right that mural yeah yeah because he was there i think he did a q a and like we all got the t-shirts we got to see there we got to see it early and like yeah. that movie rules like all the mission impossibles are great but like i remember that like a very special because a lot of the you know the cool draft house stuff but the only one the only special cruise thing i think i did when i was in austin was the rogue nation you know q a thing there so i was I'm, I'm very excited to get, get to that one again joey do you still have that uh, cheapo Rogue Nation pin I gave you when I saw it in IMAX at the local AMC. Oh, theater. I'm sure it's somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I'm I got sure like it's six somewhere. of them. I just I just handed like six into my pocket. I love it. I mean, I hosted that screening where we did the Q and A with. Oh, I mean, not not to you know blow smoke up your ass, but like I knew who you were because you were sort of you know there's not that many really sort of prominent draft house hosts 
I knew the ones affiliated with Fantastic Fest, and so I knew sort of of who you were. Um, so yeah, we've been in the same room a couple times before, so that's exciting. But yeah, so The Color of Money, let's get back to this, because this is great. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Let's kick things off by doing a little bit of our structure here. Greg, what is your favorite moment in The Color of Money? If you had to pick a, a scene or a line or an action or whatever, what is your favorite part of this movie? I mean, I don't know. There's so much. Almost every time Tom Cruise does karate with a pool stick. <laughs> I, I really love Tom Cruise's performance in this movie, and so sorry if I'm going a little bit long-winded and not being able to pick out a specific moment. No, 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 by all means. I, I think most of the stuff is just, like, the really, like, incredible rack zooms with dolly pans and, or, like, whip pans, and then they're, like, constantly cutting, and the way that the movie is put together to where all of those editorial choices are all swinging into then a perpetual motion of the opposite direction to where you just get this intense kineticism. Like, I think the very first time that I watched this movie, like, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most. But then whenever I was going back and doing research, and I was just like, was this a great Tom Cruise movie, or is this more of a Paul Newman movie? Well, that's so the thing. Like, everybody, mm-hmm. gets, everybody got nominated for an Oscar for this movie but Tom Cruise, even though I think Tom Cruise is putting in some of his best work. But people didn't know him other than mm-hmm. cocky snot-nosed kid. Yeah, and it was Paul Newman and Scorsese, you know, like they were teaming up for this. So a lot was on the table. Well, that's like the crazy thing, because, Mike, I was thinking about conversations that you and I have had on Mazes and Monsters and stuff over on Hanks for the Memories. and like, Yeah, recent conversations. This, this movie, I feel like, sets itself up like the first character that we see is Paul Newman talking to his wife or his girlfriend, that bartender there, right? We're introduced to him. What's going on is behind him, Tom Cruise is showing off and like he's like this cocky young nine ball player who's like taking the town by storm. Taking uh, John Turturro by storm. Oh yeah, a baby John Turturro, absolutely. The movie kind of becomes Cruise's movie for a while and then he disappears. And I'm like, oh right, no, like the main character has always been... Paul Newman, like it's always yeah. been his movie, yeah. but it's not until Cruz leaves you're like, oh right, like that, this is his movie. Yeah, because right. for a while, and I think there's a little bit of the bias on our part because we're watching for Cruise Club, but it's like his his energy is just so great and so over the top and so extreme right. that it's hard not to think of it as a Tom Cruise movie, even though Paul Newman is top billed. Paul Newman's the one who won Best Actor, and the sort of the back half of this is all him down on his luck and then coming back and making a run. Yeah, I mean it is a sequel to his movie too. You know after. True. All, like his character is the one that comes back but I mean Tom Cruise almost steals the show here entirely so it's kind of at Newman's benefit that he disappears for a while but it's it's interesting because this this was like the first time that really sank into me like hit me hard was like oh wait like I'm kind of being glamored by Tom Cruise's character the way that Paul Newman is like he's really you know I'm almost seduced by him and stuff so like I'm paying sort of more attention to him and everything but like from the start this is Paul Newman's movie like through and through like everything is building on his character I mean I don't think Tom Cruise ever takes the movie over I definitely think that he brings like that intense energy to it and definitely draws your attention away from Paul Newman but that's kind of the point because if you think about it as like two pieces of a whole and I'm not saying you need to see the, the hustler in order to appreciate color of money or vice versa but I think like every time you see Tom Cruise and even ever whenever he's stealing the show, if you kind of like pay attention in the function of how the scene is set up and where the cameras are coming from, it's always from the perspective of Paul Newman perceiving that character. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, he even says it in the movie, he's like, it's like looking in a mirror because he's seeing this younger version of himself, which is kind of like, you know, Paul Newman's how Stella got her groove back. But <laughs> man, it's Tom Cruise and that Tom Cruise is going like, this is that young guy who I used to be, and seeing that kid is making me hungry again. All that over-the-topness and all that stuff that he's seeing and all that stuff that's frustrating. He's like, fuck, man. It's like, you're me, but I'm fucking better than you because now I'm chilled and cool and like I can like I know how to grift properly now and I'm not yeah. going to get in my own way. Whenever Tom Cruise disappears, it's like whenever you're watching the movie, and I'd be interested to see your perspective on this, but like you're watching it and you see him go away and you're like, oh, did Paul Newman just fucking quit? And it's like, no, it's like him going like, I got beat real bad and now I know what I don't need to do. And I, I'm not doing this with you anymore, kid. I'm getting me. It's like a training montage or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like if you were watching like Creed, but then like halfway through Rocky's just goes, nah, fuck it, I still got some. There's still some left in the basement. I'm taking it out. Well, there's that line in the middle of the movie where he's laying in bed. He's like, it's watching. It's like watching home videos. It's like, this is me as a young, younger me. And yeah. I think the movie shows does, does a really good job of showing his growth or maturity that at the end when they get to that Atlantic City tournament and they don't go off, they don't go up against each other in the finals, which I didn't realize 
until the sort of the twist of that comes. But I was like, this movie is building toward the showdown between the two. Like when they separate and then right. it's clear that they're both heading there, like they're going to meet up at some point. And I was like, oh, it's got to be the finals because this is a movie and that's the movie cliche. But then you realize that they get matched up in whatever is like the quarterfinals or whatever, because Tom Cruise has the idea to bet on Paul Newman's character, bet on him to win, and then he throws the game. And so when he shows up to the hotel room and is like, here's your cut, you know, thanks, like I threw the game, that could be like a devastating, like life ending or career ending moment where he's just like, this kid, like my, you know, I still got it. Like I'm still, you know, the student has not become the master. I still got it. And then Cruz is like, oh no, like I, I don't know if you understood old man, but like I let you win. And I feel like that could have been like the end of everything. But for him to sort of dust himself off and be like, no, fuck you. Like this is, I'm still going to get my own. That's the maturity here of like, like you were saying, Greg, like the, the adult grifter, the adult, like the guy who has seen it all, knows how to handle it all. And it's not going to be phased by a kid who one day might be the best pool player of all time, but still for now, you know, it's, it's Paul Newman's world. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to like overly spoil the end, even though, I mean, I feel like we're discussing it pretty openly. Yeah. Whenever you see the end and then there's that freeze frame shot before you get any sort of the gratification of the culmination of what you were expecting for the whole movie. And then the credits hit after right after that freeze frame. Like, I think that's the movie for me, in a sense. And so that might be one of my favorite parts, because it's all about how it doesn't matter who wins right now, because this grifting game doesn't end. Like, he's like, don't put your money in the bank, kid, because it's just always going to be switching hands. I'm glad that you brought up Creed, because I was also thinking sort of like the end of Rocky Three, the beginning of Rocky Four. It's like that third fight. Like, we don't know who wins. It doesn't matter who wins. Right. But it's just, it's these two guys going head to head, and it's for them. For sure, yeah. No, I mean, Color Money is a crazy masterpiece that I think so many people overlook because, like, Scorsese, like, I mean, obviously Scorsese, I'm pretty sure, thinks it's a very good movie. But, I mean, he, he, he thought of himself as that hired gun. And so I don't think people think about how fucking devastatingly great this movie is in the pantheon of Martin Scorsese movies, but I fucking love this movie. Yeah. You having seen that for the very first time recently, whenever that turn came, because obviously it kind of blindsides you, and you kind of, as the audience, like feel that punch to the gut that Paul Newman yeah. had, whenever you went back to think about the movie, was there a part of you going like, when did Tom Cruise start grifting him? Did he start grifting him at the very beginning of the movie? Or did he, did the student become the master? You know, I didn't think about, I, I mean, I was thinking about that a little bit, like how long has this been going on? But I didn't think about the connection to a movie by an actor that we all love to Matchstick Men, right? Where like that whole movie right. is a grift against Cage. Spoilers for Matchstick Men. Right. But like, you know, from the, like, at some point in that movie, whether it's before the movie starts or one of the first scenes, or maybe the scene where they're having dinner with the guy who they think is the Mark or whatever, but Sam Rock. Rockwell decides, I'm going to take Cage for everything he's worth, and he brings in Alison Lohman. It's those kind of, like, the long con where it really makes you wonder, like, who really had the upper hand all along? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, let me know if we're going too far down this rabbit hole, but, No, like, I don't think so, because that's, that's the whole like, point of podcasts. Think about it in the context of what Paul Newman's teaching him, and, like, you can think about it in the, in the concept of the prestige or however, like, a trick is performed or a, a, a con is performed. Paul Newman tells Tom Cruise, he's like, the stupider you fucking look, like, wear your stupid shirt that has your name on it. Like, act like this asshole. Draw this, like, aw shucks attention. So there's, like, those scenes where he's, like, wearing the goofy glasses and acting like an earnest idiot. But at the same time, if you go back and watch The Color of Money again, he gets Paul Newman's attention by being this loud, obnoxious idiot who yeah. seems like he doesn't know what he's doing, which is the whole point of a grift. And so yeah. it's like, is he always trying to, like, rip off fast eddie because he knows fast eddie because he's super into pool uh and like had heard the stories of this dude from around or like was he like legitimately an idiot because just like that demeanor in that final scene whenever he's like oh you want to play for like the envelope and like he has revealed like the trick that he's pulled on paul newman tom cruise's character is way cooler and more mellow and you don't pick that up in a couple of weeks the hustling people in pool halls you know yeah that's a very interesting take that had never occurred to me before because i just assumed i suppose that i was taking the movie pretty much at its face value because i don't know i feel like usually in a movie that's like a long con there's more of a big reveal i guess it's more of a devastating hit where this kind of felt to me like oh you should be proud that i learned all your tricks and used them on the master kind of situation that's the way i it felt played to me this time too vince and his girlfriend they ended 
ended up like working off each other and together more. And I think, you know, in that last leg to Atlantic City, he gained a little more sense of fashion from her, probably. I, I do like that take. I think it's worth exploring uh, over a rewatch. I don't necessarily believe it 100% myself. It's just I always try to like divorce myself from having seen it. But also like having like like knowing what's coming and like I'm curious off of those first perspectives of seeing that movie for the first time like what are you guys getting because it kills my brain every time that fleeting thought enters my mind going like but when did the grift start for Tom Cruise like I've seen this a lot but not for a long time and so I've seen a bunch of con movies since and to be quite honest like it didn't even occur to me I was watching a grifting flick you know like I was I always just kind of took this more as like a pool flick which then in turn maybe felt more like a sports movie you know to be quite honest like it kind of follows those same beats and stuff but it is it is you know it's all about the con well yeah and, and i mean if you think about it in the concept of the movie like the movie again like is the perspective of paul newman so you are going in thinking you're going to be watching the guy from the hustler right and you know the hustler means like a grifter you see him unknowingly grifted and so the fact that like it doesn't have like the sixth sense like doorknob handle and like people walking past them after like somebody going like i see dead people you're dead too that's kind of like the subtle point of the film which is why like you don't care who wins at the end like the movie lives between spaces for those kinds of analysis because it has a subtlety to it the fact that you get that gut punch you don't need the revelation because at that point you just know that they got fast eddie somehow but it's it's just like a, a curious exploration that i always want to like rewatch the movie and try to like find a definitive answer for. I think that's fascinating. It's cool, too, because the way he handles that shows growth of his character, because when Forrest Whitaker takes him out, you know, like, he breaks down. He has a breakdown, but then... It is his downfall on The Hustler. Yeah, exactly. It's like reliving his worst, one of his worst moments. And when he gets taken by his student, he's composed, and he kind of retaliates. Like, he quits the tournament in full view of everyone, hands back the money, and, like, makes a statement without saying anything, really. And so shows his hand at that point, too. And all bets are off. It's a very exciting ending. <laughs> well, that, and, like, I also just love rewatching it because you always remember, but you don't ever think about the scenes whenever, like, you see everybody hustling around and you're just like, oh, my God, Forrest Whitaker. You're like, oh, my God, Iggy Pop. And it's just like a who's who <laughs> from, like, everything just, like, showing up all over this movie. Real quick, Greg mentioned offhandedly one of my favorite things. It's going to be my favorite moment. I love that Vince shirt that he's wearing. You know, I love Sleepaway Camp because I love the Judy t-shirt that Judy wears. I just love when <laughs> characters are so full of themselves to wear, or maybe it's part of the con, who knows, but to wear a shirt with their name on it. I mean, it's it's his work uniform, I guess. I, I was watching it again because I just remember how fucking hilarious it is that he wears that Vince shirt, like, in and out of work. Did you see any of the other employees wearing shirts? That I have... think... Yes. Yeah, yeah I think one there's guy one. named Lou, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. Okay. he's selling the, the baby swing or whatever, and he calls out to somebody, is either him or the guy who's yelling at him to get back to work. One of them also yeah. the same shirt on. And I was like, okay, I guess that's normal. Well, I thought it was weird because I used to work at KB Toys, not Child World, but to have gotten my is own Is Child name, World real? It was real at one point, okay. yeah. But I was thinking to have gotten a shirt with my name on it would have been incredible, and there's no way that the company would have flipped for that. So I almost wonder if that was an invention of the film. I don't know if anyone wants to go research Child World employee <laughs> uh, uniforms for us, but it was kind of cool. So, Mike, what, what's your favorite moment in the movie? Is it something that we've talked about, or is it something else that we have not talked about yet? It's so hard to choose. Like, there are so many great moments, but I noticed one particular shot that I wanted to mention this time that I'll put in for my favorite moment, I suppose. Um, the camera work in this film is incredible. You know, it even gets to a level where the editing and everything, it becomes almost surreal at times. But there's yeah. one moment where, well, Vince is definitely pissing off Eddie. And I think it's when he chases him out of the pool hall that one night, he doesn't want his girlfriend there and he's trying to impress everybody and he's just pissing off Eddie. He goes outside and the camera follows them across the street. Eddie gets into his car and he starts driving away and the camera is fixed on Eddie driving away. And it's as if like the camera guy, like steady cammed across the street and like sat on a rig attached to the car and they started driving away and stuff. It was just like remarkable. I had to rewind it like two or three times to sort of fix it in my head. Like, did I just see that really cool moment? So I don't know if you guys noticed any of that. I'm an editor by day. And so it's like, the editing in this movie and the cinematography in this movie are just like otherworldly. Like if you could ever just watch a movie and learn by osmosis in order to like 
be able to shoot and edit like that, I would just tell everybody to watch The Color of Money. I love it. I, I was almost getting a bringing out the dead vibe here, too. I was like, wow, Scorsese tapped back into that later on, that same type of energy for a completely different topic, like a totally different... And that just made me think like, wow, you know, I've I played a lot of pool after watching this movie with my friends and everything, and it was always a very chill and relaxed time and this movie makes it feel like extreme at moments you know yeah. it's super intense and like that is just master strokes i was reading that uh after the hustler came out there was a huge boon to like pool hall culture and people like wanting to pick up billiards and people buying billiard tables and stuff and they thought that it might happen again with the color of money and then it did yeah <laughs> you know i finally after years and years and years convinced my parents to give me their pool table i was like when i moved out i was like i want one thing i want the pool table my dad said no and then eventually you know i finally broke him down enough to get it so now it's in my basement so like while i was watching this movie after i watched it, like everything that since i started this movie all I wanted to do was go down there and just play nine ball against myself because it just looks so cool. Like, it's so cool. Just practice. Just start reading the paper in the morning on your pool table like Fast Eddie, you know, yeah. <laughs> having your coffee and your eggs there, too. That's how uh, Tom Cruise was able to do all of the trick shots in the movie. Which is bananas oh, to me. Because I was thinking, you know, I'm not good at pool. Like, I'm very bad at pool. There's, I, I wonder how many takes there were. I know that this movie came in under schedule and under budget. Like, Scorsese's like, no, look, I can do this. But... Right. <laughs> I want to know, like, how many shots they wasted because, like, they had to sink three in a row in a take or whatever. They're all playing. Like, there's no cutting away. Like, the only time, like, there's one shot, I think, that, like, when Tom Cruise, like, does that, like, double jump or something, he yeah. didn't do that. He jumps the balls and hits them in order. The only professional pool shot. And the camera's moving all around the place, yeah, too. Like, so that screws so up halfway remarkable. through a take. You got to reset just for the camera. The only actor that I think maybe wasn't a good pool player was Forrest Whitaker, which I know that he's supposed to be this great player, but like we don't actually see him hitting the balls. Like the, the camera is like below the table. And I was wondering, I was like, maybe he's not a good pool player. I was so impressed by the fact that like both Tom Cruise and Paul Newman and everybody they're playing against, which I think are like actual real, you know, pool guys it, and like legends yeah, it and feels whatever. That like they're sinking three or four shots in a row. I get that as a professional pool player, but like this is Tom Cruise, the actor. This is Paul Newman, the actor. And they're sinking yeah. like not necessarily the easiest shots, but like doing it in a way where like the cue ball winds up where it's supposed to be. And they're, it's just remarkable just thinking about the, 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 the fundamentals of it all. I mean, there's a very high incentive to be good at pool whenever somebody's going to pay you several million dollars to be good at pool in a movie. It's true. <laughs> like, you ask Tom Cruise, like, hey, do you know how to ride a motorcycle or jump out of a plane? He's like, yeah. Like, could you do that in our movie? They're like, yeah, I, could, I don't need training. I got it, guys. Because I think Paul Newman himself became an enthusiast after The Hustler. It's kind of like riding a bike. Like, it's still there a little bit. And so I'm sure, sure. he just yeah, yeah. Up to be good at it. But yeah, yeah, like a lot of the supporting cast is just professional pool players they hired to be in the film. Yeah, and I feel like if you have like a set number of shots that you need to learn and you can repeat that over and over again, it's a little easier than having to just learn the entire game and play it freestyle, right? Because like every shot is set up, so he knows exactly what he needs to do. And so after a while, you just get it down and everything like that. But uh, it, it's still, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. It's still incredibly impressive. But Joey, it made me think, as you were just saying, uh, you know, I used to get impressed when you know an actor would suddenly burst into song and have oh, an yeah. amazing voice yep. or be able to dance and you're like well they, you know they should be triple threats like that's their job and everything but then mm -hmm. they whip out a skill like this or hanks with his or juggling, juggling. yeah <laughs> it's like well when did they pick that up like where does that come from but yeah i mean you just pick these things up as actors like an incredible skill at a sport like he mastered this sport in order to play it <laughs> kind of like that time tom hanks juggled <laughs> you know same thing <laughs> I mean, I grew up and I had like seven-year-old friends that could juggle and I was like, oh shit, I can't juggle, but yeah, look at you, you can just do that. Over on Magic Mike's, our Channing Tatum podcast, like we learned like his first movie was Coach Carter and like he learned how to play basketball, which feels like a, maybe you should learn how to play, maybe you should sort of know hmm. kind of how to play basketball, but like he got paid to learn how to play basketball for that movie. It's weird, like Hollywood is a weird place. You just like, hey, you're in this basketball movie, you're in this pool movie, like learn how to do this, like we'll make sure it works or whatever. Like it's just a, it's a fascinating yeah. place. Be a superhero and we'll pay you to have like an incredible body and be in shape yeah. and get your life together. <laughs> I had the uh, fortunate position to find myself like having drinks with James Franco one time. Sonny himself, Joey. Sonny. Yeah. Almost exclusively talked to him about the film Flyboys. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, you learned how to fly for a World War II plane for that film. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. He's just like, yeah, no, I, uh, I went to like the flight sims. I got to take up like uh, Mustangs. And like we were like talking about like World War II planes. And I was like, this is neat. Um, so, Greg, on the other side of the coin, is there a scene in here? What's your least favorite part of The Color of Money? That's a tough one. Like, I love this movie, credits to credits. Like the opening with Martin Scorsese's voiceover to like the freeze. Yeah. Head. Like, I can't think of a bad beat inside of there. I guess it's it's like... It's only like the one of the only things that it sounds weird to say time has been unkind to it because it's an unkind moment in the movie. But like whenever Paul Newman like pins Tom Cruise's girlfriend in the bathroom, well, this is a it's a little bit of a cringer. But like he's not doing it necessarily sexually. Like obviously what he's saying is like very sexually aggressive, but it's like being illustrative of a point going like stop doing this shit and yeah. like he's trying to force her to do it, but. I guess that would be the only thing, but at the same time, it's like it serves to the story and the character. Because she is, and it's it's so difficult to talk about this stuff. But he, I think he sort of has a point. Like she is not coming on to him, but like when he walks into the hotel, he's also walking to their hotel room a lot. Just like, hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> you know, she's taking a shower with the door open, and we see her in the reflection, topless, and like she does nothing to cover up, even though she sees that he sees her. But again, is that part of the grift? Is maybe is maybe like that part yeah. of the, to create this distraction to maybe lure? Yeah, their relationship is complex because. Because he thinks from the start that it's business, but she might not quite get that or might be trying to run her own game. And they have that conversation in the car, too, you know, where she talks about robbing Vince and the whole thing. And it makes him look even, you know, more like a flake when he's like, oh, my mom has the same necklace. And it's like, well, I stole it from your mom and you never found out and I'm going to stay with you. Like, maybe they're... There is a connection there, right? But they're reading it in different directions or something. Yeah, I mean, what do you mean about it? Why, why do I have to go first? This doesn't just seem Well, because fair. you're the guest. I'm trying to make you say, because uh, I also don't, you know, I'm so I'm so hot off this movie that I, I don't really know. The one thing that I noticed, and I think it's not a bad thing about the movie, just that the movie settles into what it is. But I think that the beginning has so much energy, and then it sort of slows down a little bit. I mean, the movie could never sustain the amount of energy that's in the beginning, I don't think. And I think it makes sense why it slows down. But there was sort of like a... Not a lull, but I was like, oh, like, okay, like, this is not quite the, like, high-strung bravado that we're going to have, like, the first, it's not like a two-hour, like, music video, like, we're going to sort of settle into a plot, which is not a bad thing, like, it's, it works for the movie, but I was sort of not caught off guard, but a little bit sort of, like, oh, okay, I guess we're, we're just slowing things down here a little bit, so that's what stood out to me, not that mm -hmm. it's bad, because there's not a thing that I don't really like about this movie, other than some of the aggressiveness towards uh, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio. But, like, it was that moment where I was like, oh, because there was this vision where I was just like, oh, this is going to be, like, a pool equivalent of Crank, like, balls to the wall, like, just high-octane action, whatever, for two hours, and it slows down, and it makes sense why it slows down, but that's just sort of what I thought in my mind, like, oh, okay, this is going to be a sort of a different thing than what I what we just had. Yeah, yeah well... Like, opening on an action scene in a movie, and then yeah. you slip into the plot, like, they go, like, hey, this is how high we're going to get. This is where our peak is. Now we're going to settle in, but don't worry. You know where the peak is now, so you know we're going to, like, ebb and flow. Like, I think that's right. just the point of a movie. If we're if we're splitting hairs, I'll give you that one, just because, yeah, there's not a bad thing to say about Color of Money. It's hard to find one, yeah. Mike, what about you? Is there is there something about this movie that doesn't really work for you? There's actually one thing that kind of did stand out, to be honest, and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to. You know, when they hit the road, right? Like, I kind of, I don't get a great sense of, like, where they stop, like, what town they're in, what city they're in, that kind of situation. Kind of, I don't know. That's just something maybe you get more in a more traditional road film, which I don't think this is trying really to be. It just is part of its circumstance, right? Like, they have to hit the road to go to AC, but it never really feels like, we're on the road, we're stopping at motels, like, we're going... They do all that stuff. For me, I just kind of got lost on the road every once in a while, going, like, where am I in America? Like, where am I on the highway right now? What state am I in exactly? When they do hit AC, I'm almost like, oh, AC, we're here. Like, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air or something. We're, we're at our destination. We finally made it. So, uh, I mean, that is such a minor gripe, like, to be quite honest with you but at the same time like because i mean like i never thought about it or really cared in watching the movie but also at the same time like you're watching the movie and enjoying things and like the first place they go like is now like defunct and like people are making fun of paul newman whenever he's asking if something's still there they're like where else would it be you strongly get a sense that paul newman has all the wherewithal of where they are but it doesn't matter because you're just going through all of his old haunts yeah 
don't I don't know that like the the setting because it's just it, I don't know that the setting really matters because it's just pool hall in a small city or a small town or whatever where like maybe the best guy there is going to go to AC at the end or whatever. It's quite literally not about the destination, but it's it's about the journey, not the destination. It's just sort of like right. a we're here, we're gonna sort of grift until we can't grift anymore, and then get out of town before we get chased out of town and do it again, you know, 30 miles down the road. Yeah, because it's not like we see every place they stop in, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, we just see the key pool hall moments, right? The ones where they learn their lessons and, and those kinds of things and, like, perfect their their grips and stuff. So it doesn't even really bother me, but, like, I had to really pull a tooth to find one, so. No. So now, Greg, I have, a, I have an important question for you. This is something that we talk about from episode, most episodes, except we forgot on Top Gun the other podcast, the Tom Hanks podcast, there's what we've learned from the IMDb trivia is that a lot of these roles that one of the Toms got, the other one was considered for or auditioned for or was offered and said no or whatever. Like a still one Schwarzenegger partnership, always entwined in the same film. Yeah. Which yeah. everyone get it. And also, you know, Mike, what what Brian's talking about over on High School Summer Party, that he's doing a lot of these 80s movies now, and like Nicolas Cage is always mentioned in like almost all these movies, like he was up for the part or was auditioned or considered or whatever. So now this this might be a weird, difficult question for you, but Greg, if, if Tom Hanks was cast in the lead here, if he was Vince in this movie, how would this movie be different? What would this movie look like if Tom Hanks was the Tom Cruise part? Or if that is such an alien concept, you can't imagine this movie with Tom Hanks in the lead, what character do you think he could play in this movie to sort of, you know, fit, fit in this world? This year, like 1986, Tom Hanks. I mean, I definitely think the movie would be more of a comedy. I don't think Tom Hanks, like I love Tom Hanks. I think he's one of the most wonderful actors in the entire world. But at the same time, like, I think 1986 Tom Hanks would have difficulty honing in that high energy to be the Vince character where I think Tom Cruise really succeeded because he had a, like a certain level of gravitas to it, whereas Tom Hanks would probably be playing it more broadly for humor. Okay. So I think it would definitely like brighten up the movie, despite the fact that it's like a pretty skeezy film. Yeah. If you want me to double down on this, uh, if I was going to see if Tom Hanks was a different character, I would substitute what if we put Nicolas Cage in the lead role? And yes, I think that would successfully be it. <laughs> oh, Tom sure. Fuck out of that movie. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like because I mean, like, there's only really three characters in this movie. If anything, I think maybe Tom Hanks could do the John Turturro role. Yeah, that's okay. what I was thinking. Yeah. Right. Just because they kind of looked alike at the time. Well, just like, yeah, you give him kind of like that dejected Tom Hanks-ness that he can do. But that's the only note he gets to hit where he's just kind of like a bitter, like grumpy, but like. He's got that bravado, but he's also, like, shitty at it. Like, just picture Money Pit, Tom Hanks, running around. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I don't know if we can sort of build on that, because I agree with you that I don't think Tom Hanks... And I think that's what we're learning, Mike. Like, I think early, early, before they were, like, fully formed into who they would become, I think it was easier to sort of swap and be like, oh, it would be like this or that or whatever. But, like, yeah. I also... I, and not to... This is not a, a dig on Tom Hanks. I think it's just more of the, the roles that we're seeing. I think it's easier to put Cruz in the Hanks roles, sort of, than it is vice versa. And I think that's just, mm. they're just different paths. I mean, like, I, I have no doubt that that's a true statement. I just can't even, like, fathom it because I'm trying to think of it in the opposite direction because, like, Joe vs. the Volcano is one of my favorite movies of all time. And if you put Tom Cruise in that movie, I don't think I would remotely enjoy it as much. Well, it's weird, Joey. I feel like what I'm learning by doing two actors at once, right? Yeah. And doing the comparison thing is how different they are. Like how much the, yeah. I think even more so down the line that they're going to do roles tailored for them specifically. No one else could really do what they're going to do uh, eventually. And, and I think we're feeling it earlier with Cruz, right? I think that he could probably do a little more of the Hanks stuff early on, but that Hanks kind of can't do... Well, because I don't think, I don't think like Hanks is Hanks kinda, yet. I think that's yeah, the thing, that's right? The like thing, right. He's not fully grown. He's not as formed. He's becoming Hanks, but he's not... He's just sort of like a goofy, kind of likable comedy guy, which I think Cruz can pull off, like, in the parts of Risky Business that are a comedy. Like, he can do this likable, charming type of character. There's still not a lot of... Act I mean, not, you know... Cage stands alone, and Shia, I think, is kind of close-ish at points to Cage, but, like, I don't know that there's a lot of actors who could do the Tom Cruise roles, like, at any point, like, either today or in the 80s or whenever, like, he is just, he brings that energy to it, that it's just this, like, yeah. singular performance. Yeah, he's got the crazy stamina. I mean, it would be interesting to watch, like, Tom Hardy in early Tom Cruise roles, like, oh. in The Color of Money, you'd be like, I don't know, because, like, Hardy can go, like, wacky and into weird places with a lot yeah. of stuff. I mean, I'm 
sure you guys have read the same stuff that I have about the color of money, but it's like Paul Newman said the best note uh, that he ever got on yep. uh, acting was from uh, Martin Scorsese. And he goes, you know what the trick to being funny is? Don't try to be funny. And I think yeah. Tom Cruise certainly does that. And that's why a lot of that stuff is funny, because he's playing it true to the character, which makes it humorous in the circumstance that they've written it. And I do feel like a Tom Hardy or somebody would definitely kind of do that same thing where he's like, okay, I'm going to pick a, this accent. It's going to be this. I'm going to make my own Vince shirt because I'm a maniac. But then like the truth to the moments would create the humor. And I feel like Hardy would definitely double down in there. Whereas I feel like Hanks would be like, what can I do that's funny? Right. Like what face can I make or how can I juggle or whatever? You know, I think building on that is that like when Tom Cruise in this movie is dancing, that's a funny, that's a fun scene. But like he's not doing it to be funny. He's doing it to like be like this pompous asshole. Like he's just showing off. And like it's funny because he's so committed to it that he's so into what he's doing and so into himself that it's this radiant joy in a way because you're like, who is this guy being a samurai, dancing around, doing all this, like, it's just, it's, it's just fun to watch. I mean, I feel like this movie in a way is kind of like so many Tom Cruise movies boiled into one where like you see shades of all of these other things that he's brought to all these different characters and he just put them all into color of money. Actually, so here, Mike, we're going to come back to our, how would Hanks be in this if we want to continue on that. But there's another question we asked, Greg. There was, we found a guy on Twitter. Harperfect said, every Tom Cruise character could be renamed Lightning McQueen and not a single thing would change. Do you <laughs> think Tom Cruise's character in this movie could be named Lightning McQueen? I'm going to say absolutely. No. No? Wow. Really? too ostentatious. It would maybe work if the grift angle was... I really think it's like, by the way, my name's not really Vince. It's Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> no, disagree. Top Gun, sure. I can I can, I can see that one there, but uh, no, no. I feel like it would be weird to watch The Last Samurai and have them calling The Last Samurai Lightning McQueen. Well, when we get there, we will we'll maybe yet. say no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm a little torn. TJ Mackey being called Lightning McQueen. You know, I don't, I don't know if I agree that he... I don't know if he could be called Lightning McQueen. I think he's got the bravado of a character named Lightning McQueen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You as a vampire whenever, you know, Lightning McQueen comes out and turns Brad Pitt into a vampire for eternity. <laughs> Mike, do you think that Tom Hanks could fit into this movie? I, I mean, you could squeeze him in here somewhere, but, like, no, that, I, I agree with everything that's sort of been said about the lead. You know, I, I think what would be interesting is if somehow you could take Tom Hanks from, like, now or put him in 1986 and have him play the Paul Newman role, that would be kind of interesting. I would yep. love to see digital wizardry in the future pull that off. I mean, no, actually, I would not like to see them desecrate this movie in any way, but I'm just saying, like, that's sort of where my mind started going. I was like, Paul Newman and modern Hanks kind of have a similar thing happening. Or if you put 1986 Tom Hanks in Color of Money, but then you've got today's Will Ferrell in old man makeup as Paul Newman. Oh, wow. Full comedy. They, like, just like, It's a comedy of errors that things do not go well, and then all of a sudden he's good at the Atlantic City, uh, the, the nine ball challenge. Let me ask you guys a question. So you guys yeah. are doing uh, Hanks and Cruz in tandem yep. right now. Are yep. you guys obviously going from very first in filmography up to contemporary times? Yes. Yeah. So are you guys around the same time? They kind of came around the same time. They were kind of around the same age to where like you guys are around 1986-ish for Hanks as well? Yes. So Hanks started, I think, a year earlier. I think He Knows You're Alone was 1980, and Tom Cruise's first one, Endless Love, was 81. We are now at a point, because to date... Tom Cruise has something like 45 or so acting credits, and Tom Hanks has like 65. Right. So we're at a point right now where we're never going to catch up Hanks to Cruise. Like, Cruise is already like a little bit more in the future. Um, I think we're like 85-ish, 84, 85, 86 for Hanks. Like, what year is Bachelor Party? Was that 84, 85? Oh, no, no. Man with One Red Shoe was last week. Oh, yeah, that, that's 85? Maybe yeah, four? so we're, we're, we're right around the same point. So, like, it's a lot of the same, not type of movie, but the same kind of, like, when we're looking at who could be cast. Like, right. it feels like both types of movies, like Carrie Fisher's name is being thrown around a lot, and, like, Nicolas Cage and Charlie Sheen and all these different people who are, like, because they're just, like, the contemporaries of the time. You know what I mean? So Well, what I was going to ask is, yeah, so early in both of their filmographies, but obviously having had a big chunk, do you guys currently have a favorite over Hanks or Cruz, just based off what you've rewatched? Of, as an actor or as the movies? You know, movies and actors. I think in general, I'm I'm sort of siding with early Cruz. Yeah. I mean, I think the Tom Cruise hit factory is stronger than Tom Hanks, even though I love a lot of Tom Hanks movies. 
I just think like after like he got his footing and started to make movies, like he got that one hit, and then he's just like, okay. Uh, and now I'm only going to put my name on great stuff. The reason we're doing this is because we went through Keanu, which was like really rocky. We went through Charlize, which was really rocky. And now here we are with, because we're like, we want to watch good movies. So we're watching actors that we know, for the most part, only do great things. And I feel like so far we're seeing like Tom Cruise is like, I can be this like high energy, intense action guy in different kinds of movies. And like, that's just who I'm going to be. And I'm going to sort of vary a little bit. But I think... What's going to be interesting about Tom Hanks, especially as we close in on like 89, 90, and then get into like 92, 93, and then there's like that like nine year run or whatever, where he makes like 10 of the biggest movies of the 90s. And I think there's going to be more diversity there. I think it's going to be more interesting to see the different kind of stuff. I mean, like I like on average, I think I'm going to like the cruise movies more just because I like action movies more than dramas generally. But I just think that there's going to be diversity in the Tom Hanks things to an extent like we saw with Cage. Like Cage did every genre, except for maybe Western, but Cage did everything. I think Hanks is going to be closer to that than Tom Cruise is, but Tom Cruise is going to make these movies like six of the best action movies of all time or in the same franchise or whatever. You know what I mean? So Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a tough one. I, I knew I was asking a loaded question. That's why uh, I figured it would be good for... What about you? Do you do you have a preference? Have you done a Have you done a Tom Hanks marathon? No, um, I mean I have like a, a whole one planned out called T Hanks for the Memories. Yep. And I thought it would be really good. And uh, I just show some of the Tom Hanks movies that I love relatively regularly, which is why like I've never done like an Arnold Schwarzenegger one at the theater because it would be really easy to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger marathon, and I really like him. But it's like. I show these movies kind of regularly, so it's also kind of hard to put it together because then you're not necessarily surprising anybody with giving them like that big, like, oh, this is the movie you were waiting for. They're like, oh, I saw that. I saw True Lies last month. We saw, Mike and I saw uh, Hey Arnold up in the Yonkers Draft House. Yeah. And that, was a, that was a cool five movie programming thing, but it is difficult because the, the Draft House is cool in that you can just be like, oh, like shit, like this month we're just like, just because you as the programmer want to watch True Lies on the big screen, like you can make that happen. And I think that that's sort of, I guess, in a way that I never really thought about. Incredibly self indulgent and like just delightfully lucky on my part no Whenever, but that's that's like, awesome i get your job and i was like fucking pure luck realize that every yeah. time i sit up there with a the microphone i go hey i'm fully aware that i'm the luckiest guy and i'm no different than the other 200 people sitting in front of me i just got lucky but anybody could do it we all love movies the same yeah. way and like never like you're going to show something like weird or cool. People are like, oh, I know this. And I'm very excited about it. And I'm like, see, we're all just pals hanging out. You know, I never thought about the two-edged sword of it all. Is that like, if you show true lies, then maybe that like prevents you from doing an Arnold marathon. Like it's not, not, not necessarily black and white like that, but like, oh, I've shown a handful of movies that I would want to show for this marathon. So maybe I shouldn't do it because like you're saying, they just saw it last month or six months ago or whatever. And like, do they want to, are they going to be disappointed if they spend $40 Mm -hmm. on a mystery ticket and then see a movie that they just paid $12 to see, you know, a month or two ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like whenever we did uh, the WrestleMania, it was like, we're going to show Big Trouble in Little China because we have to show Big Trouble in Little China, but people aren't going to be very excited because it's not like Big Trouble in Little China is hard to find on the big screen if you have a draft house in your town. You could also maybe do like uh, Arnold versus Stallone. So, you know, you don't have to show True Lies. You could show other movies and you don't have to show as many. You know, you show like two of each and put yeah, them like head to head. Here, Stopper My Mom Will Shoot. Uh, you know, all the bangers. Well, they each made a comedy. They each made yeah. some action. I think that's also a testament to Cage is that you were able to do four different Cage marathons and have them all wildly different and still be in, like, have the people who love him and love his movies be engaged. Like, there's enough variety there that'd be like, oh, well, like, you know, we showed face-off in the past. Like, we're not going to show a face-off this year, but right. don't worry because yeah. there's other good stuff to see. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's definitely part of it. But also, yeah, I mean, like, the whole marathon programming thing, you think it's easy, and then, like, you jot down going, that's going to be a great day. You're like, oh, but no, I kind of want to find some, like, weird B-side that people aren't thinking of. And then, yeah. like, you go down this weird rabbit hole where you watch way too many movies to find that one movie, and you're like, yeah, perfect. But then, like, whenever you take out one of, like, the expected hits, then somebody gets mad at you, and then you start second-guessing everything all the time, and you go, like, oh, which order do you play this in? Like, it just becomes this whole, like, anxiety game, and, like, I don't tell anybody (laughs) those lineups, so you're just, like, suffering by yourself, and then you just go and stand in front of people going, eh, you you guys want to beat the shit out of me, I'm sorry, thanks for the money. What did you expect? They're mystery movies. Don't get mad at me. I know, right? Can you share, do you, or can you give us hints, or do you want to share uh, what the Hanks one could be if you were going to do that one? Because it sounds like you're not going to. Um, I mean, I definitely, uh, I have a thought 
for uh, maybe doing it in the fall around Thanksgiving. That would make sense. Thanksgiving, but uh, no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything on the record. Joe okay. versus the volcano, just five times in a row. I've shown Joe versus the volcano several times on thirty-five millimeter, and I even had uh, John Patrick Shanley come out to Austin and hang out for a weekend and watch the movie, and it was the fucking best weekend of my life. That's so cool. So we have one other game to play before we do our you know end of show wrap up kind of stuff. You win a lottery. You win the dream come true. You win a walk-on role, not a major leading role, but you win a walk-on role in The Color of Money. The Stanley cameo, the Stamio. How do you put, what scene do you put yourself in? Like, what background character, what guy with one line or two lines or whatever? Where are you in this movie? Are you someone that Tom Cruise beats in pool? Are you someone else? Like, where are you if you're going to give yourself a walk-on role in The Color of Money? Because, like, part of me wants the tutor role, but uh, the other part of me wants to be the professional pool player that he has to lay down for, but then he comes back and beats the shit out of in the tournament. I feel like it would be good to have that Tom Cruise smirk and also get to play him in two different uh, environments. Very cool. Or maybe I would um, be the uh, weathered old, uh, gosh, it's not Delroy Lindo, it is... Bill Cobbs? Yes. I was so happy when he... It's like, it's Bill Cobbs looking like slightly less old Bill Cobbs, but he looks he looks exactly the same, just like a little <laughs> bit less gray hair. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to do that very well, though, just probably because, like, he looks at Tom Cruise like Tom Cruise ain't shit, and, like, every single take, I'd probably just be smiling like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really cool. Like he's just like a I've seen all this shit before. You're not impressing me, but yeah, I think it'll be hard to not smile and be like I can't. I'm looking at Tom Cruise. I'd be curious to listen to this podcast if I wasn't your guest and if your guest pick just goes. Oh, I could pull down the Newman roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's what I was gonna say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we we try to we try to not do like the the main recasting because I feel like that's like everybody would want to be Tom Cruise or Paul Newman or whoever. But like I think it's fun to just sort of be like that background character, the guy in the scene or two, where just like oh shit, like that 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 guy. Iggy Pop. I'd want to be Iggy Pop. The Tom Cruise have to take my shot of whiskey out of my hand and shoot it back. And then you just stay Iggy Pop forever. You just become Iggy Pop. So life yeah, I mean, swap, life swap. I take it back. I think the Forrest Whitaker role would probably be the most fun because he's got like that one really good like short monologue about how he was like in medical testing with electroshock yeah. and then like you see his facade drop for a quick sec and then like Paul Newman gets all pissed off at him but like Cruz shows up obviously but you, yeah you get to like get to play with it a little bit and obviously Forrest Whitaker a uh, an 80s Cage Club connection because he was in Fast Times Fast with Times yeah Cage was in for 15 seconds or whatever alright Mike who would you be who would you st- how would you stand Lee yourself into the color of money I feel like I've done something similar to this before but it, I caught it this time so I want to go I'm going really obscure I'm going to be the announcing voice at the pool oh uh, okay at the pool contest at the, in Atlantic City so like every time you know he announces whatever the winner and be like, Eddie Folson has forfeited the game. That's my voice. Cool. Uh, so when you look in the credits, you got to look close. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? You could probably just patch a few sentences together from, you know, all these podcasts I've done. You don't even need to call me into the booth. No, yeah, Mike, I've got enough. Like, I could, you know, they did the, like the Barack Obama speech generator or whatever. Like, I have the Mike Manzi speech generator all queued up on my computer. Like, you, <laughs> well, you, can just, I mean, you don't have to do any of these. Sh- like, just send in your thoughts. I feel like, yeah, if we ever need, you know, to replace our voice box, they've got a lot to work with. Absolutely. To digital materials. Actually, you reminded me there is, uh, it's, it's on IMDb under director's cameo that Scorsese's dog is in this movie, that he's the dog that walks by, dog Zoe, and he walks by or she walks by in, I think, the in the Atlantic City scene somewhere. I'm going to be the character, and I think it's just because it's a funny, dickish line. I think it's the first character that Tom Cruise plays in Atlantic City, and he beats him real bad, and the guy just goes, I didn't deserve that. He's like, yeah, you did. You deserve that. Real like, I want to get, like, destroyed, like, not even get a shot off in 11 matches of pool and just be like, ah, come on, man, like, g- give me a shot. Like, you know, I go all in on the first hand of the World Series of Poker, get busted, and just, <laughs> I'm gone. But, like, I made it to the show, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get anywhere, but... Your face going, yeah, you did. <laughs> Greg, any other thoughts about The Color of Money before we uh, decide if we want to give this movie any awards, which I, I'm pretty sure we're going to, but any other thoughts about The Color of Money that you want to talk about? Man, I feel like... I've really gone through a lot of things, so I don't know what I'm leaving unsaid other than that if you've not seen The Color of Money, I don't understand why you're listening to this podcast, but I cannot encourage you enough to watch The Color of Money. And after you fall in love with this movie, I highly recommend everybody watch The Hustler because The Hustler is just like a stone-cold masterpiece. 
Yep. I was like, I had to Google, is Tom Cruise a lefty? Because he's playing pool lefty, and he is a lefty. Um, I was just like, I wonder if no. he plays pool lefty, or if he's just, he does everything lefty, and he's just, he does everything lefty. So I think that was kind of... dyslexic. Yeah, which I saw, but the, but thanks to the power of Scientology, that was cured, according yep. to a quick Google search that I did. It was also that weird thing about that, uh, the pool hall in the movie, the one where they go upstairs, it's one of the first pool halls they go to, like whenever they hit the road trip. And apparently that pool hall is still there, but across the street is the Church of Scientology now. Huh. What are the odds? Yep. Fun trip. What if in what if in every movie that he was ever in they just opened up a church across the street from one of the places that they shot? <laughs> well what if they make, you know, a part three and they follow the Vince character and now he's just auditing people outside of pool halls? <laughs> I would watch, I guess. I mean we have to. We're contractually yep. obligated because of this podcast, so we have to watch that. So this was nominated for four Oscars. It won Paul Newman won for Best Actor in the Leading Role. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was nominated for Best Actress in the Supporting Role. Nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Set Decoration. Did not win those three. No editing in City is a crime against humanity, though. Yeah, because the montage, like the, the pool montages are just so cool. I was actually also thinking, I don't know if either of you watched, I think Mike did, I, I don't know if you, but Greg, I don't know if you watched Mr. Show. There's the one sketch or whatever where Bob Odenkirk plays Van Hammersley, who teaches you how to, he teaches you history and science and math and whatever through billiards. And every time I was watching this, I was just uh, cracking up thinking about Van Hammersley <laughs> teaching, you know, a, a K-12 education through pool. It's a game of math and angles. Uh, the other thing, uh, pool thing I was thinking of, especially related to what we've talked about before, is that Charlie Sheen in Deadfall is maybe the devil and he plays pool. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that's something worth... But that's doing. after Cage gets a face full of... That's after oil? he gets Hot fried. Yeah, he gets fried yeah, to death. Fried, yeah. yeah. Some other quick trivia about this movie is that apparently the guys who made Doom, the game Doom, made named it after Tom Cruise saying, you know, what's in that case? And he just says Doom. Hmm. So they've apparently confirmed that that's true. Whether or not that's true, that's a cool story that they're like Tom Cruise's delivery there named one of the most iconic action franchises, video game franchises of the last. 30 years, or ever, really. Paul Newman and wife Joanne Woodward were the first married couple to win his and her Oscar since Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier. And Brandon Flowers of The Killers wore a Vince t-shirt for many tour dates. So I was like, I want that shirt, and, you know, Brandon Flowers, I guess, famous Brandon Flowers, did the same thing. So I am uh, jealous, and I admire his taste. Mike, do you have any uh, last thoughts about The Color of Money before we go to the Tom Cruise Awards? It's great. You know, great music, great acting, great camera work great editing it's you know scorsese's got a lot of great films but this is definitely at the top so yeah definitely yeah. if you haven't seen it check it out if you have seen it watch it again very very true second all of that so we have an email address here on the show run at cageclub.me email in if you've seen this movie if you like this movie we also have our patreon page at patreon.com slash cage club and cageclub.threadless.com if you want to rep your fandom of the Cage Club Podcast Network. Okay, the Tom Cruise Awards, maybe the Golden Sunglasses, who knows? The Golden Gotta nominate this for Best Film, for sure. Do we want to nominate it for Best Role? Hmm, what's it up against so far? So far, we have nominated Joel Goodson in Risky Business and Maverick in Top Gun. Is Vince Vincent Loria... Is hmm. he on par with some of Cruise's best roles? What do you yeah. think, Greg? Well, I mean, are you guys watching all of the Tom Cruise movies? Because we I are. feel like we could start a category where this is a best supporting role. Oh. Because I feel like we're sort of in the, the part of his career where, aside from Magnolia, maybe he's going to mostly be just the lead, but I guess we'll have more. Yeah, you guys will watch, like, Lions for Lambs and stuff like that. Okay. Mostly I'm just trying to stack the deck to where he definitely wins the Cruise Awards. The best <laughs> <laughs> do you want to nominate this for, I don't, I'm not sure, best or most best badass role i mean like i don't know if i necessarily nominated just because i know you guys are like going to come up on so many awesome and badass yeah. roles you're going to be like you know what no it's going to be collateral where his character is also named vincent i think part of it is that his character is not much of a badass right like he's kind of a jerk he's a flake like he's kind of a dumbass like you know he, he gets his ass kicked that's dancing i do want to say playing pool well, yeah to werewolves of london i mean also i mean just the karate dancing yeah 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 even when it's not fitting the music appropriately he's doing it anyway it's just when he's in the zone that's his those are his moves best outfit wardrobe i think the shirt probably well, right the vince shirt i mean it's like you know it's up there with indiana jones jacket it's up there with the best of them you know vince the shirt just thinking about whenever like newman gets his glasses but he's wearing like that v-neck sweater i was like oh i, I want to wear that outfit <laughs> 
best sunglasses. I know that Paul Newman wears sunglasses. Does Cruz have iconic sunglasses in this, or not really? I can't think of them. No, not no. that I can recall. Is there a line that Tom Cruise says that we want to nominate for best line? Doom could be in there. Um, there's a there's a handful of ones. I'm being overwhelmed with like them all car crashing in my mind, but almost. Every time that he's beating somebody at pool, he says some sort of ridiculous shit, but also he has really good, like, one-liners to Paul Newman. Yeah, it's true. Like, I, I just kind of started getting lost in the movie and stopped writing notes at times, and then I was like, oh, shit, I should have been writing, like, a, some of these things down because there's a lot of good stuff here. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, well. There is one line that I wrote down that I might nominate. It's, it's one of the, it's what Greg was saying, you know, after he makes a cool shot in pool, he just says, it's like a nightmare, isn't it? It's just like, how? Like, come on, man. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Like, you're kicking my ass and you're saying shit like that? Like, come on. Best freak out. I think his hallway freak out where he oh, rips yeah, the banister the off the wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also him jumping up and down on the bed, even though it's a happy freak out. <laughs> Very true. I do feel like this is kind of like a, a, a continuation in ways. Maybe it's the risky business character. Like he just sort of like this man of privilege. <laughs> like I'm gonna go be a grifter because he kind of has that sort of vibe. You know what I mean? Like that Joel Goodson or, vibe. So or you know, I didn't get into that college of choice. I actually, didn't get in there. You know, they found out why I got admitted. It was because I threw a party at the house and the, <laughs> the guy came in. I had to work a child world instead and become a pool player. The Frank T.J. Mackey uh, origin story. <laughs> Most athletic feat. Do we want to say crazy trick shots like doing all of his trick shots in this movie are, are those athletic feats like i mean i don't want to downplay the difficulty but you guys were just talking about how violently impressive that was before yeah i'm gonna say you're like nah, we, won't, we won't nominate that for anything impressive fuck that making trick shots best running scene not it's not going to compare it to stuff i mean he runs a little bit. actually does tom cruise run in this movie I'm going to say he runs the pool table for sure, but he also, <laughs> he runs after Paul Newman's car once or twice, he yeah. runs after Paul Newman, but he doesn't really have the Tom Cruise running, sprinting thing in this movie. Yeah, wait till you guys get too far and away. There's a shot of him in full sprint that literally dissolves into an explosion. Whoa. Sick. Can't, Can't wait. wait. Best or worst love story? Or is it just because, is, is, it, is it more of a question mark because we don't know if to what extent she's in on the grift or what the grift is, really? Or is it between a love of the game? I, I wouldn't say that this movie's overly romantic in any sense to where it should warrant any discussion considering you definitely have some very romantic movies coming up. And if Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise don't win for Interview with the Vampire, then I call shenanigans preemptively. You'll have to vote when we get to the uh, the Tom Cruise Awards voting in like a year and a half. you got to make sure you cast a ballot, whip your fellow voters into shape, uh, start picketing for Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. The yard's already covered. So I think here we're going to have at least one for sure. Best non-Cruise actor, male or female. we got to say Paul Newman. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Do you want to nominate Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio or not really? No, I'd leave it at Newman. I don't want to overly uh, stack it in there. Are there any other things that we want to nominate about this movie that like, so like the editing, I agree with you, Greg, is great, but we don't usually do the stuff. It's sort of stuff that's more relate, directly related to Cruz himself. Mm, best uh, hair, maybe? filmmaker that he worked with we did for cage we did best returning filmmaker we did sort of best new filmmaker i mean the scorsese stuff that is i mean you got spielberg's you got kubrick's you got scorsese so i mean i feel like you could put this going like best filmmaker or something like that where you could find a way to honor how awesome this martin scorsese movie is i'll say so the question then is are mike of of the eight other things that we've done so far is there anything else that should be nominated in this category well i mean if we're going just off director or the it has to be in conjunction with the film because i mean he ridley scott well i think for, i think for the for the film that he made i think for the his, his work in this movie even legend i'm a big fan of that best filmmaker and then you put like martin scorsese and then parentheses you put the movie that yeah. tom made with them so they're only limiting the choices based off of the film like that tom cruise made with that filmmaker because like uncle francis made the outsiders but like we're not saying the guy yeah. who made the Godfather is is up here. Maybe Tony Scott for Top Gun, just because it feels so him, like as a filmmaker, like it just feels right. like a lot like him. I prefer Days of Thunder to Top Gun. Haven't seen it yet, so we'll get, we'll there, get there. Yeah, very soon. Might have to replace. Any other things? Any other nominees or categories you think that we should honor the color of money for? I think we're we're pretty good. We have right now best film, best director slash filmmaker, best. Cruise supporting role, best dance scene, best outfit, the Vince shirt, best line, best freak out, most athletic feat, and then Paul Newman. Anything else about this movie that we want to nominate or honor 
in the eventual Golden Sunglasses. It's good for now. It's quite a yeah. bit. It's a good movie. I mean, deservedly so, but still, that's, that's, that's a lot. I can't wait you guys have the podcast where you just go like, hey, do we want to nominate? You're like, nah, fuck this movie. Let's move on. Let's just pretend oh, yeah, no, we've done that before, for sure. The next Cruise movie we're doing is Cocktail. Now, Mike, you've seen Cocktail? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to guess really quickly. So I thought the... I knew for this movie, Greg, that this was a prequel or a sequel to a famous movie. I could not remember what it was because I knew that Mike had told me. I guessed it was a sequel to the... or prequel or whatever at the same year, Wall Street. But it's not. It's very clearly not. But also, Color of Money, Greed is Good, for lack of a better word, whatever. Cocktail, I might actually get this right. because I know, So I know from what Greg said earlier, it's in the Bahamas. I know he's a bartender. I'm going to guess that he goes down... He's a man down on his luck. He's sort of like Matthew McConaughey, kind of in the beach bum, but not by choice. A little, little moon dog in him. Goes down to the Bahamas to become a bartender down there because that's the last thing that he has going for him, even though he's only 25 or 26 in the movie or whatever. He falls in love with a girl because that's, of course, what's going to happen. Oh, there's sex in a waterfall or something. I think I knew that, maybe. But it's the, the movie is about him finding his second life down in the Bahamas as a bartender at this really hip, nightclub-y kind of bar. That's what I'm guessing Cocktail is about. Pretty super wrong. You got some of the points right. I know some of them from theater, but, you know, I cannot wait to find out how wrong I am. It's a drama. It's a... It's a it oh, gets, really? It gets really dark. Wow. I was expecting kind of a sex romp. Okay. All right. Well, two weeks, we'll find out about Cocktail. Don't fuck in a waterfall, though. That's the only thing that you got right. <laughs> So next week on Hanks for the Memories, we have Volunteers, and then in two weeks we have Cocktail. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for talking about this movie. Thank you for bringing your excitement and passion uh, for this movie. Uh, we really appreciate you you stopping by. I very much appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. And I think you'll be on in a month or two, maybe, for uh, Days of Thunder, if, if schedules work out. So I'm, I'm excited to sort of get back there and have you teach us the ways of how that's the superior Tony Scott movie. It's Top Gun on the ground. That's, what's, what, could, what could you not <laughs> like about that? Perfect pitch. So what do you got today? Top Gun on the ground. Sold. What about Top Gun underground? I'll I'll wait for that third one to happen. Top Gun. Days of Thunder. Thunderground. Ooh. All right. Um, Thundergun? Thundergun. (laughs) For all things Cruise Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon and Threadless page. And just, you know, say hi. Let us know you're listening. I know the people are out there. I know the people like Tom Cruise because who doesn't like Tom Cruise, especially who doesn't like these movies? This movie rules. Go see The Color of Money. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Greg McLennan. We'll see you in two weeks for Cocktail right here on Cruise Club. <laughs>